Welcome to the 445th episode of the Jamie Delaney Plant-Based Wellness Podcast. My name is Jamie Delaney and I'm your host. I'm a plant-based cardiologist and endurance athlete living in Southwest Florida. The rains are gone and we're back to no rain and humidity. Eh, A couple mornings, it's not quite as bad, but for the most part, we still have humidity here in Florida. So we lot to do free sauna so go and do your run right doesn't matter so this past weekend i did 16 mile long run on saturday a 10 mile long run on sunday and i used my hydration vest on saturday and the hose to the bladder gets hot when it's you know the water gets warm when it's like this and so that first drink is you know lukewarm water and it's exactly what you don't want when it's 90 degrees outside so I came up with a idea that I actually wrapped the hose with um, disposable cooler insulation, you know, that metal stuff that comes lined if you order something online that comes cold. So I wrapped uh, in that foil type um, material and did a little duct taping together. So I looked like the doctor with the tin hat, but uh, or the aluminum hat, but this way it was a... Um, on my, my hose to my water bottle, and it kept it cool. It was actually very, very good. So I was quite pleased with myself uh, on my long run that I wasn't drinking, you know, the first drink wasn't hot water. Um, but for the most part, I uh, do some sports nutrition. I use uh, Gnarly as a drink mix when it's hot for uh, some electrolytes. And uh, then I took a couple fake Newtons with me, and that worked. And some sports beans. And that's pretty much what uh, I had a piece of toast with some jam before I left. So that was pretty much my nutrition before the run. And then I just a giant bowl of fruit after is the best thing uh, that, that tastes the best for me. So um, we still find some watermelon or still find some mangoes here, but they're fairly scarce in the grocery store. Not that great, but they're there. Uh, watermelon's still good here. Blueberries, cherries, grapes, papaya, um, I still have my yellow dragon fruit that I get out of Miami. And if you haven't had a Mame Sapota, you should try it if you can find it in the grocery store. It has the texture of an avocado, the color of a sweet potato, and it's very, very sweet. Um, it's high in fiber, high in a lot of uh, beta carotene, so it's, it's a great fruit to mix in with everything else. So that's usually my uh, recovery bowl of fruit plus some chia seeds and soy milk. I heat that up so it's kind of like uh, it thickens it a little bit so they don't all get in my teeth, so to speak. I am staying true to myself with my workouts. I actually put my um, race or my, I guess my ramp up to the 100K, which will be in October, in my phone. So I have a workout for every day, including once a week I'm doing a VO2 max interval session. I don't like them. I don't like being inside on the treadmill, um, but just how it has to be if I want to get to the ultimate goal next August. So a little self-talk that we're going to do three minutes on, three minutes off. We're going to do it at a grade. Um, So it's not that fast because I'm going to use a grade to get my heart rate up and strengthen my leg as opposed to um, and increase my turnover as opposed to just pure uh, fast interval. The opposite self-talk could be, well, I don't get to spend as much time outside running with the dogs. I don't get to be outside. There's a chance of getting injured. Um, but uh, my compromise is I take the dog out first, 3-0. We do about two and a half miles, come in and finish up on the treadmill with my intervals, and then do a cool down and then go outside play ball with Sophie. So that's how that works. Did my second swim, getting ready for the swim run in November. So I did uh, 21 
150 yards for my second swim. Felt good on that. Um, form feels pretty good. So, you know, like getting back on a bike, uh, getting back in line with that. Again, staying true to my workout schedule. Um, weights, still still true to those. Uh, Pull-up routine, uh, various rows, inverted rows, negatives, positives, start it, stop it. Um, push-ups, um, single leg squats, RDLs, again, trying to get mobility so I can do one of those pistol squats. So that, that's kind of where I'm all, uh, all about for the most part. I am finding that my upper back is, is so much better when I do the pull-up routine and even just do, I try to do at least two hanging sessions that I just hang from my arms, engage my abs, um, a day. And that really seems to make my back feel good. My upper back gets tired, I guess, computer back, whatever kind of back it is, cooking back, computer back, old lady back, any way it helps. So I encourage you, if there's a pull-up bar or some bar at your gym that you can just hang on, just just hang down, try to engage your abs if you can, does wonders for your spine. So for the most part, I'm on, on schedule for 100K in October and our swim run long course in November. And then it's the long haul 100 mile race in January. So there you have it. Um, Still a little afraid to look at that um, directly, but, you know, we're working our way up. So I listen to podcasts as well uh, as record podcasts. And there's a couple of podcasts that I've listened to for a long, long time. And maybe you all will identify this, but if you listen to somebody's podcast for a long time, you feel like you know them. Um, you know, I've run into people that, you know, know a lot about me because I share things about my dog, 3-0, and my dog, Sophie, and my cat, Tony, um, and things that go on in my life. And so you feel like you get to know somebody when you listen to them rant and rave for a long time. And so I have a podcast they listen to that a fellow, I actually met at a race, but, uh, and I've had him on the podcast and he was gone. He disappeared. His podcast disappeared last, um, last fall and didn't come back and I knew he'd had some injuries and I wasn't sure whether or not that was kind of the end of his running or he decided to not do the podcast and then lo and behold this week a podcast came up so I tuned in real quick to find out what was going on and turns out he's been suffering with an injury of his heel chronic pain in his heel um, that uh, he thought was plantar fasciitis and been through various doctors physical therapists even even had a, a surgery to try to clean things out, um, was in a boot, you know, same thing happened and somebody thought it was a nerve pain and then somebody, you know, then finally he was just diagnosed with maybe he has arthritis. So he's put on a basically a non-steroidal medicine that's a prescription and he feels better. Um, but obviously he's been very, very frustrated because if you are a runner or you like to do something on a regular basis and you can't because of chronic pain, it's very discouraging. And so at least he's coming back and he feels happy about it. And I was happy for him that he's getting um, pain-free again. And he's coming back very cautiously. And he made a couple comments that I didn't like to hear, like, well, maybe he's getting older and arthritis is going to be part of that. And I was like, no, it doesn't have to be to myself. And I actually sent him a long email, but I didn't convince him of much. Um as far as inflammation in your nutrition, because uh, we know even osteoarthritis or overuse arthritis, there is a big inflammatory component to it. Your x-rays can look like bone on bone and they can look just plain awful, but if you take the inflammation out, the pain can go away and you strengthen the muscles up, you can get along just fine. But most people don't want to hear that. 
but he has been trying all the physical therapy and doing what everybody told him and, you know, passed from one person to the next and not getting a lot of good feedback. And he was just very disappointed with the medical establishment. Um, and he even made reference to me, I'm sorry, but I'm just really disappointed with the medical profession. It's just, you know, it's just not what it used to be. And I couldn't agree more. It's not what it used to be. He did get the runaround. Nobody really took time to examine him, and nobody really took time to explain to things to him. And, of course, nobody addressed nutrition with him or, you know, different things that he might do, assess his running gait or any of those things that might ultimately help him because for some reason he's getting, you know, a recurrent injury in the same, in the same place, and he's got a lot of inflammation in his system. And so nobody really addressed that. And he was frustrated, but... You know, I was frustrated, too, because, yes, the medical establishment is very, very messed up. We're all based on medications. And he wasn't told about the medication. Non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs come in the kinds that you can buy over the counter, like Advil and ibuprofen and Aleve. Um, but they also come in um, prescription strength like Vioxx and Meloxicam, and those are kind of disguised as, well, those aren't as bad as the other kind, and they're a little bit different in the mechanism of action, COX-2, COX, you know, where the, where the enzyme is. They, they basically block the production of prostaglandins, which are inflammatory compounds, and they block them in a little different, and so the prescription forms of it, they say, well, it works better and less GI side effects, but... There still are GI side effects, such as ulcer formation and bleeding. Um, in runners, in particular, you have to watch and avoid non-steroidal anti-inflammatory um, drugs, especially during a race because of the risk of what's called hyponatremia, that you can, um, basically your kidneys will start to retain more water than salt, and um, you, can, you can really get uh, into trouble that way. You can also get an inflammation of the kidneys, called tubular sclerosis uh, that can ultimately cause, uh, you know, kidney damage or in even very severe, even dialysis requiring um, damage for a short period of time. A lot of people, when you take that away, come, they come back, but a lot of people are left with permanent kidney damage. And the thing that I never knew until I became a plant-based doctor is that non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs block the production of nitric oxide. So if you take an, uh, a non-steroidal such as ibuprofen, then you're increasing your risk of a heart attack and potentially arrhythmias and cardiomyopathy. So that's not good. But nobody really tells you that. And the fact that it's very good at relieving pain, musculoskeletal pain, people are often very happy to hear of it. Alternative would be turmeric, curcumin. Uh, has the same anti-inflammatory capabilities, but they're short-acting, so you have to take them every four hours. Um, and you kind of titrate the dose, and if you get a little nauseated, you have to, to back off. But they, but turmeric or curcumin and black pepper helps the absorption, so a lot of the formulations have that. And you need the, the capsule strength version of it just so you can get more curcumin rather than the spice itself because you can just get a little bit more concentrated form. Well, actually, actually has no cardiac side effects, and it has no increased bleeding side effects. So a much better choice um, to use rather than uh, non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs. But again, nobody talks about it. Um, a sidebar, my cat Tony had an accident while I was traveling and broke his leg and ended up having to have it amputated. And they sent him on, home on a bunch of medications because he was in pain. 
um, that had a lot of side effects, GI, not, you know, side effects, um, possible liver, possible kidney side effects, and of course, you know, sedating side effects. So I had this cat that was very lethargic and didn't want to eat or drink. And if a cat doesn't eat or drink for 24 hours, you know, they can get into big troubles, unlike a dog. The cat had already been lost when I was away, so uh, in my house, so he was already dehydrated. Um, so those drugs can be, um, you know, not good. So I gave him turmeric, and I asked the vet, is turmeric okay? You know, and he's like, okay, you know, as far as we know, and that was pretty much, it's not poisonous, but they knew nothing about it either. So here's this wonderful herb that you can use for pain, whether it's a headache or musculoskeletal pain, and nobody ever talks about it and has no side effects. I even used the gummies uh, during an ultra, and I got to tell you, it worked great. You know, I mean, aches and my usual aches and pains after 30, 40 miles uh, were, were not too bad at all with a couple, you know, turmeric gummies along the way. So keep that in your back pocket if you have a headache or you have... Uh, some musculoskeletal pain to pull out the turmeric capsules or the gummies, uh, curcumin capsules, um, and and give them a try. But the frustrating part was everybody wants to throw the medical profession under the bus, and I don't blame you for wanting to throw the medical profession under the bus, but if you're not going to do anything to help yourself or do anything differently, then, you know, what alternative do you have besides taking a medication or accepting your fate as it is? Um, So, you know, you got to... Again, convincing people to look outside the box, again, something so simple as taking a little turmeric to help you out or changing your diet to a plant-based diet can make all the difference in the world as far as getting inflammation out. You know, who knows? You might have high uric acid levels. I don't know if they were tested or not. And you can have gout without having high uric acid levels. So there's a whole variety of different things that that would be benefited by changing to a plant-based diet. When you eat meat, you generate more, more uric acid, um, which can cause a chronic inflammation. Of course, we know the dairy is very in- inflammatory. Anything that makes things acidic is more inflammatory. So if you suffer from arthritis, oils and dairy and meat are not your friend, um, despite what the carnivores may say. I didn't want to do those intervals, really. Uh, I knew I had to, and I did it, and I wrote it down. And writing it down, you know, if I write something down or make myself a schedule, I'm pretty good at sticking to it, even if it's, you know, even if I designed the schedule. Um, you know, it, I'm more likely to follow through because I don't like to see it there on the paper and not follow through with it. But it's a lot like nutrition. Uh, if you have a plan of what you're going to eat and you write it down, you're more likely to follow through on it, especially if you write it down, then grocery shop accordingly. You're more likely to follow through on it. But there's often times that you got to do a lot of self-talk. There was a study uh, way back where they put cyclists on a stationary bicycle, and they saw how long they could they they looked to see how long they could ride and push the pace. And then they flashed slides really, really quick of happy faces. And when they, even it was if the if the slides were flashed so fast that they couldn't really see the happy faces, it was still enough brain stimulation or visual stimulation to make the cyclist ride faster and longer. And you know, I've seen it in races where you know you feel you know terrible, and then you come around a corner and people are cheering, and then all of a sudden you feel great. I witnessed it at Leadville. When people are almost, you know, they're dragging a couple miles back, but they hear the crowd cheers and all of a sudden their pain goes away and they all run across the finish line, that's a head game for the most part. They, their legs still hurt, but they're able to change their focus and their mindset uh, 
and move on. That's entirely possible with chronic illnesses as well. You know, if you're thinking, my hand hurts, my hand hurts, my hand hurts, my hand hurts, it's hard to think of anything else. But, you know, we always laugh when we're running. If, you know, all of a sudden your knee hurts, then your feet don't hurt so bad because it's your knee hurts, your knee hurts, your knee hurts, and then it's something else, and it moves around. And if you can talk yourself into, well, it's going to be something different but nothing permanent, None of it seems quite as bad. And when it comes to nutrition, I think a lot of people get into deep holes where they never, they never believe that they can get out of the hole that they're in. Um, whether it's weight loss and they've been heavy all their lives and it's just the way it is, no matter what I do, I can't lose weight, diets don't work, everybody else around me, it works, but it doesn't work for me. This is how I have been. This is how I am. This is how my family is. Those are circuits that become so ingrained in the mind that we start to accept that diagnosis of I'm always going to be overweight. I'm always going to have this for the rest of my life. It's a mindset. You've, you've basically talked yourself into having this problem. And it's very hard to break. It, it's very hard to break. There was a study by uh, Herman Ponser, uh, the guy out of Duke that wrote the, um, the book Burn, that, you know, again, people of the same size and gender burn about the same amount of calories a day. There's not much different with their activity, but their desire to eat can vary. So it may be if somebody is given a, you know, has a more desire to eat than other people, um, which can can actually be a trained a trained thing, you know. You're trained to eat lunch at noon, and when eleven thirty, eleven forty five rolls, your your stomach starts to growl. If you're not having lunch that day, your stomach might not growl. So we're we're very much our mind body uh, interaction is is so integral with each other that you know our thoughts kind of guide the outcomes a lot of time and I talked to somebody today it's like well the self-talk can be different because you are losing weight you are capable of losing weight yeah it's coming off a little slower maybe than you want it but it's a positive so you're focusing on yes I'm still losing no I'm not gaining anymore I'm winning this battle I'm taking it one step at a time. These actions are working as opposed to, oh, it's never going to work. It's going to take too long. I might as well just quit. Um, so, you know, I think that mindset, and, and it could be with an illness as well. If you think you're not going to get better from an illness, chances, you're not, chances are you're not going to get better from an illness. You know, do you ever have a stiff neck and it's just, just stiff and for days, you know, you turn and, it, you know, you kind of get a zing and you, you turn and you get a zing and then all of a sudden it, it goes away just as quick as it came on. Why is that? You know, I mean, as long as you're focusing on it, you can stretch it, pull it, rub it, do everything you can and it still hurts. But all of a sudden you take your mind off of it or you get distracted by something else, it goes away. Um, you know, if I have a headache and I go run, it typically goes away. Um, you know, is it because of my hat? Is it because of the oxygen chains, the way I'm breathing? I don't know, but really, usually it's my mind gets, you know, gets myself off of the headache. And so I don't notice it. It might come back right after I'm done, but for the most part, I don't notice it when I'm running. So our minds play a lot of, a lot of tricks with us. And, you know, I do believe that we're, we are not very good cheerleaders when it comes to ourselves. Um, we, we don't talk to ourselves enough. We don't do enough positive self-talk. It's negative. People are very good about negative self-talk 
to themselves. They'll pump other people up all day long, but when it comes to themselves, they just start to, you know, list all the bad things and why they shouldn't and what's gone wrong as opposed to, you know, okay, what's right today? What little thing, what can I, what nugget can I pull out of this? Um, There's a guy named Jocko who's an ex-Navy SEAL and he has a YouTube video called Good, you know, and he talks about good. I'm glad this happened because this gives me the opportunity to do this. Good, you know, this gives me the opportunity to do this. So I think mindset is is huge um, when it comes to any of these endeavors. And the more we practice self-talk and self-cheerleading, so to speak, I think the better we can handle a lot of things. And, you know, I I listened to another podcast this week, you know, about a a girl that, you know, finished Leadville just, you know, with two minutes left. And she was, you know, made the last cutoff by, you know, seconds. And, you know, she didn't think she was going to make it and she was walking. And then somebody said, you can make it. And she started running, you know. So she went from doom to elation and then, you know, pushed it in and, and ran hard. And so, again, it's that the body said, I'm shutting down. But when her mind said, no, I'm not, all of a sudden she had a different response. And so I think that, you know, good old Ken Clover's is on something. You can do more than you think you can. Uh, and there's always a little bit more room in the tank to, to go on. Eddie and I always talk about the people that need us most don't realize that they need us. There are a lot of people out there in their 20s and 30s um, that they eat terribly. They feed their family terribly as far as nutrition goes. They're digging a hole both with their weight and their metabolic health, and they don't even realize it's happening because they're so busy and life is passing them by, and they're just trying to survive kids, work, job, whatever, and they, you know, the nutrition is the last thing on the the list. Recently, there was a study published looking at gestational diabetes during, well, during pregnancy. If you flunk your glucose tolerance test or your glucose goes up when you're pregnant, 50% of those people will continue to have diabetes after they deliver. So, I think a lot of young women, you know, they put on some extra weight there. You know, you can eat freely at first when you're pregnant and it's, you know, after the first trimester, trimester nausea goes away and vomiting goes away. Then appetite increases, you're eating for two and, you know, everybody's eating for two and you eat a lot of calories and it's just a matter of, you know, you want to grow the baby and it's a good thing. But if you're not doing good nutrition uh, during that, you know, glucosis can get out of hand. But people see things that happen in pregnancy as a temporary condition. And as a lot of women know, the weight gain with pregnancy is not a temporary condition. It can be a lifelong condition that just continues to build um, over time. And they never get the weight off. And as far as the diabetes go, again, um, it comes, it starts to rear its ugly head. Um, either it doesn't go away or it comes back. There's a tenfold increase in adult onset diabetes in women that have gestational diabetes. So even if it goes away after the delivery, over the next 10 years, there's a tenfold increase. Um, and 
things can be done to avoid it. Um, you know, prolonged lactation can decrease the risk of um, you know diabetes long term. And of course, exercise um, during pregnancy and after pregnancy is is very very important. The other thing that's really scary is that there was a large meta analysis, so a lot of pooled studies looking at over five thousand five million women that had gestational diabetes, and they have a two time twofold increase in cardiovascular disease the first ten years after they deliver. So now you have a young woman that, you know, has the potential to have a heart attack and not be able to care for her young, young family or her life uh, expectancy might be severely limited. Um, I remember when I was at West Virginia University, I had a woman that was 32 that had a heart attack and the subsequent bypass. And, you know, at that time, I, I never realized that, you know, uh, some a woman. We always think that women can, you know, they make it past fifty. It's not till after menopause do the risk of in, of cardiovascular disease increase. But um, if people smoke or have diabetes, if women smoke or have diabetes, then uh, the, the all those that protection, that premenopausal protection, is now off the table, and they can have a heart attack at any time. And I think that it grabs women. It very it's, a, it's very surprising in women, especially you know the forty to fifty year old woman that starts to have chest pain. They're going to ignore it because people think that you know they're otherwise healthy. They shouldn't have cardiovascular disease. And there are a lot of studies that look and yet women are largely ignored. They, or they go to they go to the hospital or a doctor later. And again, you know, our great medical profession, they kind of ignore somebody that looks otherwise healthy and, and you know, they can have significant cardiovascular disease. So, um, you know, those are the people. If you know somebody, you know, we, we love to help uh, people get their lives changed so that in their 20s and 30s, you get on the right nutritional path, 40s, 50s. Uh, and, you know, you avoid some of these complications. It's not... You know, it's it's not okay um, to you know to to not address these issues. You know, obesity is a big risk factor for diabetes, hypertension, and increased risk of cancer that can devastate young families. So, uh, and that's of course what leads to yo-yo dieting. And a lot of the yo-yo diets have nothing to do with nutrition. So they may lose some weight, gain some weight, but their nutrition still is very very poor. Continuing with my friend's theme of throwing the medical profession under the bus. You know, um, everybody gets to make a decision on what therapy they receive. And way back in the nineteen late 1980s, when I was going through medical school, the idea was to educate patients and to the best of your ability and let them make an informed decision. Um, before the 1960s, we'll say 1970s, it was the doctor knows best and we'll tell you what we're going to do and don't ask any question. But about when I was in medical school, this thing called informed consent came to be. And, you know, yeah, you, you needed to explain things to people before you did, them to, did things to them. But that has kind of fallen by the way. It's, it's like we've worked our way around it. And, you know, the explanation is to, that's given to patients is tailored to what we want them to say. Um, I heard a cardiologist in a meeting one time say they wanted me to do that angioplasty and there was a bad outcome, but they forced me to do it. Well, we know that's not true. 
Um, people don't come in demanding stents being placed. They, they come in sick with chest pain, maybe heart failure, and it's the physician's job to make a decision as to what should be done, provide the patient with what's going to happen and the alternatives and risk, and the patient ultimately gets to decide whether or not they're willing to take the risk of that heart catheterization, which carries with it a risk of stroke, heart attack, or death, in order to perhaps have a better quality of life after the procedure. That would be the, that would be the idea. Um, but radiation is another one of those things that we don't really tell people exactly what they're going to experience. Radiation burns, incontinence, chronic, uh, chronic inflammation, uh, chronic pain, uh, and the other thing is the risk of recurrence of a different or the, 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 the risk of another solid tumor not related to the primary tumor um, developing because of radiation. We know people that were in World War II, they were irradiated and they had an increased risk of, of cancers later in life. And uh, a, a study was recently released looking at the exposure uh, of radiation in the healthcare workers. So if you're a cardiologist and, you know, we work, do a heart catheterizations, we typically wear lead aprons, lead vests, and you try to stay away from the radiation exposure as much as you can. You stay away from the flow of radiation through the patient as much as you can. We wear thyroid collars, but there's still radiation scatter. And we actually wear little dose meters to say how much radiation that we have we are exposed to chronically and if that number starts to go up people are pulled or the equipment's looked at and it's certainly a risk well it turns out that in the european study there was 310,000 people evaluated that were healthcare workers and they had a 52% the more the, the mortality risk from developing a solid tumor after radiation increased 52% per joule of energy deposited in the body per kilogram of tissue. And that dosage was 50 joules per kilogram increased the risk. Unfortunately, the standard radiation dose for breast cancer is 50 grays or 50 joules per kilogram. So I'm not saying not to get radiation. That's a personal decision. I'm saying that it should be mentioned that, you know what, there is a risk in the future of a different cancer coming up, but we feel that your risk of breast cancer may be improved by this therapy or may not be, or for your age and the length of time you have exposure. So a very young person has a longer chance to develop another kind of cancer from the therapy they're given for the primary cancer, we know that young people with Hodgkin's non—I'm sorry—with Hodgkin's lymphoma that are treated with radiation have an increased risk of having another cancer later in life. They're young; they have time to develop a cancer. Maybe an older person doesn't have that long before the cancer would, you know, develop because of the radiation, or, and, and maybe that's more of an acceptable risk. And maybe we should look at who we offer radiation to according to their age or their potential for other, uh, other problems. The other thing we need to look at, though, is alternatives to those procedures that don't have risk. And again, if somebody doesn't want one of those procedures, then they have to accept responsibility for doing the alternative therapy. 
So saying I don't want something and hoping for a good outcome is not nearly as good as I don't want this therapy, but I'm going to do this and maximize my chances of health by doing this other type of intervention, nutrition and exercise, normalization, a body mass index, things that we don't talk about. Um, so it would be nice to see in the future if we would do more of these interventions and look to see how well they helped. One such intervention is vitamin D therapy. Um, you know, in the past, I've, you know, I was like, you know, we get vitamin D from the sun. You need to go out and get your sun exposures. Um, the number for the vitamin D level that's acceptable may be artificially uh, low, that lower end of numbers. But um, what, what seems to be coming out over and over and over again is that if your vitamin D level is about 50, you're, you have a decreased risk of cancer. You have a decreased risk of uh, having a bad outcome with um, with you know, uh, infections such as COVID um, and other viruses. So it's vitamin, adequate vitamin D levels are synonymous with health. Do we know completely with chicken and the egg, do we use more vitamin D when we're sick and that's why the levels are low? Are chronically ill people, do they have low vitamin D levels? We know that alcohol intake, excessive alcohol intake will lower vitamin D levels. Certainly not going outside lowers vitamin D levels. Um, people that are overweight can um, actually put that the vitamin D in their fat tissues and it's not available to use. But nevertheless, we know that vitamin D is associated with our immune function. And most recently, there's been a study that looked at a specific gene mutation that's seen in almost all cancers. It's seen in about 80% of colon cancers, uh, but a variety of different cancers called P53 mutation. And what that does in a simplified term is basically it, it takes it, it, it makes our bodies not recognize cancers and things get out of hand. So it's a, a way that our body monitors our, our overall genetic mutations and stamps cancer cells out before they get going. And if when this G, when this P53 mutation occurs, then cancers kind of fly under the radar, so to speak. Um, but there was a study that gave people 2,000 international units of vitamin D levels, uh, I'm sorry, of vitamin D, and their vitamin D levels were not really impressively high. Most of them had a level less than 50 still, but there was a marked decrease in cancer death and recurrence by 27%. 27% reduction in cancer death and recurrence is a pretty good response from, a, from vitamin D. Basically, people call it a hormone. So 2,000 international units. To me, it's a no-brainer. Um, I do take vitamin D. I want my levels at 50. Um, you know, so have your vitamin D levels checked. I, I think that it's, it's a worthwhile thing to do. The last thing that I'm going to touch on could be somewhat humorous or it could be somewhat sad that there is actually a Miralax or a constipation fiber type medicine shortage in the United States. So there's so much chronic constipation that there's actually a Miralax um, shortage. There's not a kale shortage. There's a Miralax shortage, and everybody's up in arms about it. It was in the Wall Street Journal, no less. We have the cure for con chronic constipation. We have the cure. It is a kale 
smoothie. Kale, water, kale. Fill the blender up with kale. Add water to the top. Add some blueberries. If you want, add a banana and drink the whole blender and you're cured. Every time. Every time. It's 100% cure for chronic constipation. Fiber is the answer. If people aren't getting their fiber, they're going to have GI issues. So, you know, yeah, you can wait for more Miralax, and it's quite expensive, more expensive than kale most likely. Uh, I'm sure it's more expensive than kale. So that's your tip for me today. Drink your kale, eat your kale, eat your greens, get 50 grams of fiber a day. You won't have chronic constipation. You will have a good gut microbiome, and it'll make you happier. Be kind to others. Be kind to yourself. Cheer yourself on a little bit and give yourself a little nudge of positive reinforcement, and I'll talk to you next week. Thanks. If you'd like to know more about how you can join our practice and get more mobile, get less constipated, reverse chronic disease, including inflammation of your joints, go to drdelaney.com, D-O-C-T-O-R-D-U-L-A-N-E-Y.com and see how you can join our practice. We have a lot of online uh, options. Um, Look forward to hearing from you. If you have questions about the practice and which level is right for you, you can email me at jamie, J-A-M-I, at drdelaney.com. Appreciate you listening. Love to work with you. See you next week.